Well, good morning. Good to see you in God's house today. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, everlasting pleasures. Not the stuff that, that goes away after the thrill is gone, but everlasting pleasures. Things that last not just a lifetime, but beyond your lifetime into eternity. That's the kind of stuff God does. What an awesome God. So good to see you. Y'all looking good today. Most of you. The rest of us, okay. We're still a work in progress. There was a fire at the convent. One retired nun on the fourth floor was trapped by the flames and the resourceful sister quickly took some robes from her closet, tied them into a rope, descended on, on to safety. And an amazed reporter later asked her, weren't you afraid your makeshift rope might fall apart? Oh no, she said, old habits are hard to break. You know, I, I was told that 70% of the population is stupid. I'm obviously with the other 40%. I'm just saying I don't, I don't fit in that. And they wanted me to be the math teacher. Some of you still haven't gotten it yet. And you shouldn't be the math teacher either. <laughs> You know, my, my wife says I only have two faults. I don't listen and something else. I, I... And last but not least, what do you call four bullfighters in quicksand? Cuatro cinco. I don't know about you, but as a child, I watched television some. We didn't have a television when I was in elementary school growing up. Uh, my parents didn't really believe in it, but then they found out that we were going down the neighborhood to watch TV at our friend's house. And so they decided to bring a television into our house so they could monitor what we were watching. But thinking about that, I always thought you were going to die from quicksand. I've never even seen quicksand. Anybody else? Tarzan? Anybody watch? Never mind. I'm way old, and so it's just good to be here. It's good to be seen. What a powerful word from Pastor Landon Verkirk last week on Warfare Worship. If you weren't here, you need to catch it on YouTube. Warfare worship. Our, our worship confuses the enemy. It destroys the enemy. It silences the enemy. And when you sing scripture, you silence the enemy and his accusations against you. He is the accuser of the brethren. But when you begin to worship the Lord in the middle of what you're going through, come on, somebody. It silences him. He has no accusation against you. Now you can start complaining and bring his accusations to bear. But when you start to worship the Lord and realize, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. 
and ever. I sang that all week. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever and ever. Give thanks to the Lord. It's not that hard. And ever and ever give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever and ever. And as we praise him, it corrects our focus. We begin to shift our focus to him. That's what Pastor Landon encouraged us to do. Worship corrects your focus. You fix your gaze on the Lord. Everything else shifts. King Jehoshaphat prayed in 2 Chronicles 20, 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't have the power to do this. We don't know what to do, but we're fixing our gaze on you. Our eyes are on you. And I'm going to tell you, that's the best position possible. When you don't know what to do, even when you think you know what to do, as Pastor Luke shared this morning, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct your paths. He will clear the way for you. Hallelujah. You shift your focus, put your gaze on the Lord and you worship him. You begin to watch what he and only he can do. Watch God work. Amen. That was, that was good. Thank you, Pastor Landon. I want to talk today about supernatural suddenly's position. A window into miracles. Psalm 106, verse 34 says, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them. There's some key words there. When God makes a command, you need to obey Him. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but... Here's what they did do. They mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. Hmm. There's a lot of things being sacrificed to false gods these days. Don't let your children be that. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. You know you can defile yourself by what you do. You can take yourself out of the miracle, suddenly surprised position 
and defile yourself by what you do. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just telling you the truth. Let the Holy Spirit deal with something in your heart that needs to be changed and shifted. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the nations and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. They did not destroy what the Lord told them to destroy. They mingled with the nations and adopted their customs so they became oppressed by what they should have destroyed. They became oppressed by what they should have destroyed. Let me just say this, whatever the Lord has nudged you to take care of in your life needs to be dealt with obediently and quickly. Nudge your neighbor and say, that's a good word. They took themselves out of the supernatural suddenly's miracle position. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pause here for a moment and say, this is a word. The, the Holy Spirit spoke to me this morning and said, this is a word for someone in this room today. You need to quickly and obediently deal with what God has been nudging you to deal with in your life. Otherwise, you will become oppressed by what you should deal with. Instead of you dealing with it, God's going to deal with you. Don't become oppressed by what you should have killed in your life. This past week, I was, I was driving on Highway 1, heading home, and on my right-hand side, I passed what used to be Loch Nairn Golf Course. Anybody know where Loch Nairn is? Okay, a few of us. If you don't look it up, it, it was a pretty great golf course. I've played it a few times when I first moved here. And it was almost unrecognizable as a golf course. And I said to Christy, I said, look what neglect will do. Neglect can quickly turn you unrecognizable. When you neglect what God wants you to take care of, you become unrecognizable. I don't know if you've ever known anybody that was white hot for God, just burning, ready to, to do anything God asked them to do. And then they started to neglect the small things. They neglected their daily encounters. They neglected getting into the word of God. They neglected being in his presence. They neglected hanging out with, with believers of like mind. They, they neglected themselves to the point that by the time you saw them, you were like, is that, is that you? 
you, you didn't even recognize them from the height that they had fallen from. Don't be that person. Let me warn you, neglect will make you unrecognizable. My desire for you is that you don't neglect your soul so that you stay always in the supernatural, suddenly's miracle position. And that's why the power place exists, to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily. It's a daily, daily encounters with the Lord is so vitally important because they position you near him and wherever he is, anything good can happen. Come on, somebody. When we neglect ourselves, when we mingle with the world, when we adopt the world's customs and we don't destroy what the Lord has nudged us to destroy, it will inevitably destroy us spiritually. And I want to help you today to stay in the supernatural suddenly's miracle position. Are you ready? Let me remind you of some things today. Acts chapter one, verse one. In my former book, Acts chapter one, Acts is written by Luke, the great, the physician who wrote the gospel according to St. Luke. So he says in my former book, the gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Even Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit's anointing. Amen. Every single one of us. If you desire him to fill you, he will. And so Luke says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, if Jesus began doing and teaching, I don't believe he's finished yet. He's still working today in his church. He's still working in our lives. And notice that he says, do and teach, not teach and do. You see, our, our Western understanding is you always teach, then you do. But the Eastern mindset was different. You do, then you teach. Somebody say do and teach. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you do, and then you teach. I, uh, I'm asking us today to yield to whatever he's doing and you'll set yourself up for his miraculous intervention as he teaches you what he's doing. I heard a preacher say one time, the Lord always does you, then he teaches you what he's done to you. The Lord always does you, then he teaches you what he's done to you. I don't know if you remember, if you're old, old like me, Maybe you'll remember the classic OG Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san. And young Daniel-san comes to Mr. Miyagi, the master teacher, to learn the art of karate because he's getting beat up, he's getting pushed around, and he needs to learn self-defense. To his chagrin, Mr. Miyagi says, wax my car. 
Here's how you do it. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. And the young man is a bit confused, and yet he yields himself to the master teacher and does what the master teacher tells him to do. Mr. Miyagi says, paint my fence. And the young man is confused. This makes no sense whatsoever. Why am I painting the fence? Why am I waxing the car? Until he finds himself in a confrontation and all of a sudden, wax on. Oh, and he blocks it. Wax off. Ah, grasshopper. <laughs> and suddenly, what was done, he's understanding. And brilliantly, the master teacher is teaching him what he needs. He's developing muscles and stamina and movement, muscle memory. I'm here to tell you today and remind you that you have no idea what God, the master teacher, is doing in your life with all the mundane, seemingly irrelevant tasks he's assigned to you. Why am I going through this? Why do I have to do this? I don't understand. And the master teacher is doing something in your life that can't be done any other way. He's developing spiritual stamina, spiritual gifts and abilities. He's developing spiritual muscles and reflexes that will come in handy soon. Doesn't look like much now, but it's a huge deal. Your obedience in the mundane is setting you up for a future only God knows is coming. It's setting you up in the supernatural suddenly's miracle position. Nudge your neighbor and say, he's doing something. He's a good God and he's doing something. Romans chapter five, verse three. The Apostle Paul writes to the Roman church, he says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know, somebody say we know, we know that they help us develop endurance. What helps us develop endurance? Problems and trials. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. 
When I went to Bible college, I went out for the basketball team, actually made the cut. And their first months of training were awful because we didn't even touch a basketball. Now, I don't like to run. I'm not a runner, as you can well see. It's not my gifting. Put a basketball in my hand, I'll run some, right? But this first part of training was running stairs, running steps, running the laps, running the lines. We ran, if you weren't puking, you weren't part of the team. That's the kind of runner we were doing. And what I didn't understand was the coach knew that we could play ball, but what he didn't know was, did we have the stamina and the endurance to last to the end of the fourth quarter? Because that's where you need it. So as we ran and had ourselves out of breath, couldn't even function, he would throw the ball at us and say, shoot 10 free throws. I don't have any strength. That's exactly the problem. Because you're out of breath. You don't have the ability to do what you can normally do when you don't need breath. And he was developing something in us that made us unstoppable. We know that they help us develop endurance. Verse 4. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When teachers want their students to grow, they don't give them answers. They give them problems. And it's in the process of accepting and solving, working through the problems that we grow and become creative and our persistence is enhanced and strengthened. Because if the teacher just gave you the answers, you'd get a good score, but you wouldn't get any growth in your life. We homeschooled our children. I could have said, here's all the answers. Just fill in the blanks. You'll get an A. That doesn't work. Because you will gain nothing by having all the answers. And God sometimes gives us problems. He allows problems to come our way so that we can grow our endurance. And our endurance gives us character. And character gives us hope. And we, we're able to persevere in the midst of the difficult days of our life. Because the Lord knows that we're never so anxious to learn as when we've tried and failed. Chris Valentin says, the process is necessary to stay in the palace. Some of you are in the middle of a process right now and you don't like it. You're frustrated at it. You want to shoot everybody around you. And it's not them. God's doing something in you. But you've got to yield to the process because little do you know the palace is soon coming. Well, maybe years down the road. 
But God's setting you up. He's doing something in you. He's working all things together for your good because you've got a plan. If you'll yield to him, he's going to take you through the process so that you can stay in the palace. Joseph went through a lengthy process. He went from favored son to hated brother, to being sold into slavery by his brothers, being elevated to leading his master's house, Potiphar, to being accused falsely by Potiphar's wife. He was then thrown into prison, but stayed faithful to the Lord in his calling and was totally forgotten by the ones who he helped. Finally, eventually, he became prime minister of Egypt. It took him over 22 years to see his dream come to reality. Some of you have been waiting five weeks. <laughs> what? Come on, God. Aren't you faster than that? But Joseph stayed in the process. He stayed faithful. He saw with eyes of faith. He persevered through every trial that he faced. He, he stayed steady through the process and eventually stayed in the palace. The process is necessary to stay in the palace. And when his brothers finally came before him to bow down, he said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph saw God's hand in all of his mess and he actually honored his brothers when they finally showed up. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> See, that's one of our core values around here. The power place, we value honor. We say honor up, honor down, honor all around. Because we place the value of heaven on you because you bear the image of Christ. And Joseph knew that God was doing something good. And so he honored in spite of the difficulty that they had brought in his life. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Well, you don't know my situation. You don't know how hard it's been. You don't know what they did. They, they, they did to me. Yeah, I know. But God does and God is working behind the scenes in all things. In the middle of all this mess, he had some kids. Genesis chapter 41, verse 50 says, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Azanath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And every time Joseph called his sons by name, he remembered. God made me forget all my trouble. God has made me fruitful in the midst of my suffering. 
God made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He's made me fruitful in the midst of my son. What an awesome God. And his son's names brought praise to his mind and settled himself and helped him shift his focus on the Lord in the midst of the process. I'll tell you, when you finally recognize what God has done, it changes everything. When you finally recognize God's hand on you through everything, it's a game changer. He teaches you what he's done to you. He teaches you what he's done to you. Ah, grasapa. Your perspective changes. You see with new eyes. You have a sound mind. For the spirit of fear, sound mind, so I can see clearly. Sound mind, your spirit is here. A sound mind, a sound mind. 57 years ago, my life was shifted by a supernatural suddenly moment. I got a call from my grandpa Hollis. He didn't call me much, didn't talk to him a whole lot. But my mom brought me the phone and she said, Grandpa Hollis is on the phone. I said, what's he want with me? She said, I don't know. I said, hi, Grandpa. He said, hello. He said, I want you to come preach a revival for my church. I'm 18 years old. I said, Grandpa, I don't preach. He said, well, I know that. He said, but I want you to come preach. When can you come? I said, Grandpa, you didn't hear me. I, I, I've never preached in my life. I don't want to preach. I'd be happy to come and sing for your revival because that's what I love to do. I feel like that's what God's called me to do. He said, well, you can do that too, but I want you to preach. When can you come? And he wouldn't take no for an answer. That's the kind of man he was. Like the dead people he raised from the dead through the power of Jesus. He just didn't take no for an answer. No, you're not dead yet. Come on, come on, come on. And, and God used him in mighty miracles. And so reluctantly, I set a date with him. It was a Sunday through Wednesday, Sunday night through Wednesday night. And I hit my knees praying. I was, I was scared to death. I'd been around the ministry. My father was a pastor and I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to preach. My brother, he was our youth pastor. He led everything and, and I didn't want to do what he did. I did, didn't want any of that. So I'm just saying, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? And so I hit my knees. I started fasting and praying and God began to do something supernaturally in me that I didn't even know. My grandfather saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And he spoke life into it. 
I show up in Leon, Kansas. It was the little church that the district had put my grandfather in charge of in his retirement years. A few years ago, I think we've got that picture. A few years ago, I stopped in Leon, Kansas to find the church because I said, I haven't been there in forever. I don't even know if it's still there. And it was, uh, it's fallen into disrepair. It, it was all locked up. It's got a padlock on the front door. Um, that's not the name of the church that it was back then. Steps were all crumbling. And uh, I, I got to that church and fear just flooded my life because I'm the guest preacher, singer, evangelist, and I have no idea what I'm doing. First night, we're in the song service. Back then, we sang out of hymn books. Third or fourth song, Grandpa closes his hymn book. We're standing on the platform. He looks at me, he goes, follow me. Okay. And we started marching. And we started marching around the church. We did a Jericho march. I didn't know what a Jericho march was. We're marching around the church. We go around seven times. And things start to break. I'm like, okay, Lord, you're teaching me. You're doing something in me. I don't understand, but I know you do. I preached my first message on Sunday night. I was 18 years old. I had pages and pages of notes. And I, I finished my last page of notes and then I looked at the clock. It had been eight minutes. Some people are praying for those days again. It, it's okay. It ain't changing at this point. I, I told them everything I knew and a few things I didn't know. And I just looked at him and said, I think we need to pray. And we did. We had a prayer meeting and God came down that week. And I don't know if he did anything in that church for anybody else, but he changed this boy. At that little church in Leon, Kansas, that little rundown white Pentecostal church, God did something in me supernaturally that changed the direction of my life forever. Never underestimate what your seemingly small step of obedience can accomplish in your life. It set the course of my life that day. I also remind myself, never despise the day of small beginnings. You may be in a small beginning right now in your life. and You're thinking, Nobody sees me, nobody knows. I, I don't even know why I'm here. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't underestimate the power of that seemingly small moment you're in. Your future hangs on your obedient development in the secret place, out of the limelight. Miracle moments, supernatural suddenly moments are being set up in the heavenly realm to be lived out here on earth. And he's the master teacher and he's doing and teaching. I remind you to submit to him. Do and teach. Do and teach. Learn to recognize the Lord's hand in your life. Learn to recognize what he's doing in you 
and realize he has your best interests in mind. For 12 years, we traveled on the road. My family did. We lived in an RV. I finally found a picture of the RV. I, I sent it to Brandon. This is the only picture I can, I can find. Our, our rig was 42 feet long. Then we had our, our moped on the back and towed by a little semi-truck that had a sleeper cab in it. Um, that was our house. And, and God took us around the country, you know, doing... Every time you hear Pastor Isaiah talk about where he lived... That was his house for 12 years. He was five years old when we went on the road. So he was 17 by the time we moved out of that and moved into our house. Now, that was his home. That's where Allie grew up. The same bedroom, the back, the back bunks in the bedroom. And then there was a, a little bed underneath the desk. was our life. We took the message of Jesus all over the country. We were in Houston, Texas one time. And I plugged the camper in. I, I got adept at manipulating wires and hooking things into breaker boxes. And those of you who are electricians, I know nothing. I was taught enough to be very dangerous. And this one day, there was a, th a three-pronged plug that looked like a 30-amp plug for a camper. I plugged it in. By the time I got inside the camper, things were exploding. Found out later that it was wired for a, a welding machine, and it was welding my camper together. And uh, by the time I got it unplugged, we'd lost our television, our microwave, and, and uh, our washing machine. I was frustrated. You know, I, I don't really know a whole lot about everything. So I started searching for washing machine, found a cheap microwave, found a, a television to replace, found this washing machine on sale. I got all excited, got it hooked up in the camper. After that, we had left that church. We'd gone to an RV park and we were getting ready to do the first load. Christy's like, I got to do the load now. We've got piles and piles of laundry. I said, okay, hook it up. I think we're good. She starts the laundry and, and it starts to flood our camper. So it's flooding the, the upstairs, and then we had storage on the, on the basement floor that held all of our sound equipment. So my sound equipment's being flooded, and so we, we stopped the washing machine. I pull it and realize that it was a broken machine. The reason it was on sales because somebody brought it back, it broken, and they never checked to see it, and they sold it to me. And Yeah. And I wasn't happy, and we've got a mess everywhere. And so I'm finally cleaning up the last part of the mess it, the, underneath where the washing machine was. And I know this doesn't happen in your house, but in our house, and because it was a camper in a little very small space, um, detergent had spilled and hardened into a gel-like substance underneath the machine, right? That's never happened to you, I know. 
Um, so I'm cleaning and it's now a sudsy mess and I'm, I'm running out of paper towels and I yell at Chrissy, I need more paper towels. And I'm, I'm cleaning up and I take my last swipe and I see something and I pick it up and I start screaming, Christy, Christy, come here. You'll never believe what I just found. And in my hand that had been held for two years in spilled detergent was the diamond that broke off of her wedding band in Pennsylvania. And we're in Texas. We were at the church in Pennsylvania. Christy came to me one day there. We're in a four-day revival. She came to me. She said, I've lost the diamond on my wedding band. I don't know where it's at. I said, well, it's got to be around here somewhere. We've been in this church for, it, it was here when we got here. It'll be here. It's somewhere. So we walked the, the gravel parking lot of that church. We just kept looking, 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 kicking over every stone. We went to visit somebody's house, went to, back to their house and said, hey, can we just look around to see if there's a diamond here? And nothing, nothing. We walked and walked for days looking, searching everywhere, looked through the camper, tore everything apart. Nothing. Went back a year later to the same church. I'm walking the parking lot. God is still here. I know it's here. It's here somewhere. And yet it was being held in spilled detergent until I got a leaky washing machine to make a mess that I had to clean up. You don't know what God's doing in the midst of your mess. You don't know what he's forming in you. You don't know what he has for you. We were in Six River RV Resort, Baldwin County, Alabama. Roll Tide. We had done a service in, I believe it was Daphne, and had almost three weeks off because I couldn't book two weeks of services. Now, you have to understand, if I didn't book a service, we didn't eat because we couldn't pay our bills. We didn't have an offering. We didn't make money. We, we just needed to work. So I'm in the Six River RV Resort and I'm frustrated and two weeks back to back unbooked and, and our overhead expenses were pretty large. I'd called every church, every pastor I could to no avail. And I just was living very anxious and worried and because I'm in charge of the family. If I don't bring the paycheck, nothing's happening. And so I had to mail some things in town. And when I dropped it off at the mailbox, I, I looked at the map. This is before we had GPS on our phones, before I had a cell phone. You remember back in those days when you actually had to look at a map? You had to actually go download MapQuest and follow those instructions. And I looked at this road and it's, it, I, I thought it was the road I needed to be on. And I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm driving, trying to get back to the camper, back to the RV resort. And I couldn't find, 
I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm frustrated. Again, I'm living a frustrated life. I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm talking to God. And I pass a mailman and I come over the hill and, and I see this little old lady walking back to her house. She's been to the mailbox and she's dejected like she didn't get anything. And I want to roll my window down and say, hey, 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 mailman's coming. Hang on. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's you. I'm like, what? Like the mail's coming. Hold on. Don't be frustrated. I'm a slow learner. That week I'm standing by the Styx River and I'm still frustrated. I'm talking to God. I didn't call myself out here to do your work. I didn't call myself. I've left everything to follow you. I'm, I'm feeling abandoned, let down, unseen. How are we going to make it? And I'm going on and on. And the Lord quietly says to me, Psalm 23. I'm like, yeah, I know that one. Okay. You had to understand the mindset I was in. I said, I know that one. He said, quoted. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He said, stop. He said, you need a break and you won't take one. I'm giving you two weeks off. Enjoy it. Perspective changed. Says, I'm doing something, and then I'll teach you what I've done. Trust me. I finally recognized the Lord's involvement, relaxed, enjoyed my family and the Lord. And it was during this time that we were able to attend the Brownsville Revival, Pensacola, Florida. And while at the revival, the Lord began to nudge us to give away money. Remind yourself that I'm not making any money. I got a little bit, but not enough to sustain us. And God says, give. Christy leans over to me in one of the services. She said, we're supposed to give that lady right there. She tells me the amount. And I said, babe, what are we going to eat? She looks at me and says, I just want to be obedient. I said, I do too. Go ahead, write the check. She writes the check, hands it to the lady. And she says, come on, let's get out of here. So we leave and the lady runs after us. She says, hey, 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 what, why did you do that? Christy said, I'm just being obedient to the Lord. She says, you have no idea. This is the exact amount of money that I need to fly to my, my father's funeral. I didn't have it. Thank you. And I'm like, okay. And God kept nudging us, give, 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 give. 
told us to give away our CDs at the RV park and sow seed in the offerings, which we really didn't have to give. And, and during this time is when I heard Bishop Joseph Garlington say, the Lord always does you, then he teaches you what he's done to you. It changed my life. It changed our perspective. It put us in the supernatural suddenly's miracle position. The Lord is more concerned about your character than your comfort. He wants to do something in you to change you. At the end of those two weeks, I went into town to get our mail. And in the mail, which had been sent weeks before, was a check from a widow that the Lord had commanded to take care of us. She said, I just had a feeling that you might need this. It's a check for $4,000. I don't get $4,000 checks in the mail. But I did that day. And it sustained us. It paid for our vacation. Come on, somebody. That we needed, but wouldn't take. First Kings chapter 17, verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. God has ways that you have no idea about. He's working and he will continue to work if you'll just stay in position. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And we know, somebody say, we know. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know. And if you don't know this, you'll be frustrated the rest of your Christian life. Trying to figure it out. God, what are you doing? I don't understand. I, it's not going the way I think it should go. And God says, he reminds us that he is working all things together for good. Together. Not all things are good, but he's working all things together for our good. Because we love him. Because we're called according to his purpose. Reminds me of the little girl sitting at, his mother, at her mother's feet and her mom's doing a cross stitch. And the little girl looks up. She says, Mama, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm, I'm making something beautiful, honey. She said, well, from down here, it looks like a mess. And mama said, give me a little time. When I'm finished, I'll bring you up on my knee. You can see what it looks like from my perspective. And God's working. He's doing something. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things. Somebody say all things. all things. Not just some things, not just most things, but all things. He's working all things together for good. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, 
so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, people get all, all concerned about predestination. and Well, I'm just predestined to be a sinner. No, God has given you free will to choose. But notice what the scripture actually says. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. I'll just tell you this. God's not going to be shocked by anybody that comes to heaven. I didn't know you were coming. What? You made it in? No way. No, because he's outside of time and space. He's already in heaven. He already knows the end from the beginning. He knows who's going to be there. He's creating mansions for us, Jesus told us. And he's not going to create one mansion too many, one mansion too less because he already knows he foreknows who's going to be there. So because you've made a choice, he knows you're going to make a choice to follow him because of that choice. He has predestined you to become conformed to the image of Jesus. He's predestined you to become like Jesus, to look just like Jesus. Come on, somebody that should excite you. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Ah! That, 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 that right there, he knows, he foreknows, and so he's working, and he's working, and he's working, so they're going to be called, justified, glorified. And then Paul the apostle says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He's praying for you. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know God is causing all things to work together for good. Don't be angry at God. Don't get your pants in a wad. He's doing something. And it's for your good. He's doing something you're not even aware of yet. 
All you have to do is wax on, wax off, paint the fence, do what he's asked you to do. Develop in the secret place so that you can stand when everything's against you. God is for you. He's not against you. He's doing something you're not aware of yet, and he's working all things together for your good. Mother Teresa once said, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> you ever feel like that? Come on, stand with me, please. He's a faithful God. He's a God of seasons. Genesis chapter eight, verse 22 says, as long as the earth endures, I think the earth is still here. Yeah, it's still here. It's still enduring. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. As long as you're on this earth, seasons are going to come and go. It's going to change. Things will change all around you. But he's a God of seasons. And I remind you that the season you're in right now won't last forever. Take hold of his hand. Walk with him through every season because he can be trusted. Tell your neighbor that. He can be trusted. Trust him. He can be trusted. Trust him. He can be trusted. He's doing something in you during this season that's preparing you for the next season and the next season and the next season and the next season. And I wouldn't be here today. This church wouldn't be here today had we not been prepared for the next season and the next season and the next season. Even through our frustrations, we, he was preparing us. He's such a, a, a gentle God. He's such a faithful God. I heard an old song this week from Brooklyn Tab. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see. Even though at times I've questioned, even failed to believe, yet he's been faithful, faithful to me. And even though we question and worry and wonder, God, are you even, do you even know I'm here? Do you even know what's going on? I'm here to tell you he's faithful. He's a God that will walk you through every season of life. He'll hold your hand. Don't let go of his. Don't neglect yourself. Don't neglect your soul. You know what they say in Florida, the, the colder the winter, the sweeter the oranges. 
Oh, it may seem tough right now. Something's happening. It may seem unbearable right now, but he's doing something. Lord, teach me to to know what you're doing in my life. Master teacher, in every situation, in every interaction, in every trial and tribulation, in every good time, every bad time, every frustrating time, do your work in me and teach me what you're doing. I know you're not against me. I know you're for me. I know you're working all things together for my good. Teach me to recognize you in every situation. I yield to your loving hand. Close your eyes just for a moment, you and God. Lord, we surrender to you. Lord, we surrender to you. Is God doing something in your life and you need him to teach you? Is there a frustration that you just can't figure out? Are you taking care of the things he's told you to deal with? Don't become oppressed by what you should have destroyed. Don't neglect your soul and become unrecognizable. Even though you may be going through some stuff, the Lord wants you to make you fruitful in the land of your suffering. He wants you to recognize him in the middle of it all. I don't know where you're at today, but I want to open up these altars for you to spend a few moments in the Lord's presence. Lord, I'm coming to you for answers today. Keep me in the supernatural suddenly's miracle position. If you want to get on your face before the Lord this morning, let him teach you what he's doing. If you want to deal with some stuff that needs to be dealt with so you don't become oppressed by what you should have destroyed, come. Don't neglect your soul. Don't become unrecognizable. God wants to make you fruitful in the land of your suffering. The land of your suffering may not change, but he wants to make you fruitful in the middle of it. He wants to open your eyes to see what he's doing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.